This episode contains discussion of euthanasia. Please listen at your own discretion. Previously on the Land Above podcast. Crown, your eyes are drawn to some kind of small bladed weapon. It is in a black steel scabbard that has runes of some kind engraved into it. A figure wrapped in ragged pieces of discarded and decaying cloth turns to face you. She is a tiefling. You know her name to be Marielle. You have learned much of our ways these past months. You are still a neophyte hunter. I want results now. Ma, well, she's, um... She's really not doing good. Look, there is something I think you could do. You've been working with that priest fella over at the shrine. Think you could get him to drop in on our folks and take a look at Ma? I'll do my best. You see Panuk's hands glow with divine energy that seems to seep from his hands down into your mother's body. You see your mom's eyes flutter, and in the darkness, the sharpness of those blue-green eyes catch yours. As soon as that light and awareness came to her eyes, they start to grow dull again. Fnuke lowers his head. I'm sorry, Riza. Whatever is wrong with her, it is something deep within her, and I do not have the magic to heal it. She just, it's, there's this utter look of heartbreak on her face, and she just squeezes her mom's hand gently as, I love you, Ma. I love you. The two of you leave and head towards the northwestern corner of town where the Blacksmith Forge is. You approach a very squat stone building. There is a large, sturdy metal door that closes off the front entryway. And you see a few... There are less windows and more vents higher up in the walls of the forge. What you both know is that there is actually a lava vent that burbles up into this cave chamber that heats the forge. And as well as the forge, the entirety of this chamber where the town of Bungle is situated. Sort of the main source of heat for the interior. That being the case, as you get closer, the heat becomes more and more noticeable. To the point where when you're standing outside of the forge, it is swelteringly hot. As you approach, you notice that there is a small mallet sitting on the ground just outside the front door. And there's no one currently outside, but you hear the sounds of work being done inside, the hammering of metal. <coughs> looks at Ghost like, what do we do? She she kind of just like looks at it and shrugs and is like, okay, you know, let's do this. And then um, just three times, just for good measure. Okay, what are you knocking on? Oh... She picks it up. She's not going to hit, like, the structure. I feel like that's disrespectful. She's actually going to use her entire weight to uh, attempt to slam the mallet into the ground. You hit the ground three times. Doesn't mm-hmm. make that much mm-hmm. of a sound. No, it's not, not the sound. It's the vibration. Ah. It doesn't seem to attract <laughs> anyone's attention inside. Oh my god, I don't want to hit the structure. That's so I, I, rude. I feel like Crown would take it off of you and just tap three times on the door with the mallet. <laughs> like, tap, tap, tap. You hit the door and there is a bit of a reverberation, but you probably need to hit it a bit harder if you want anyone inside to notice, because there's a lot of noise coming from inside. 
And then Crown would just swing back and just hit it once really loudly. Okay. And then drop the mallet. It was stand back. Like, <laughs> this is a, a very heavy reinforced iron door. So when you slam the mallet into it, there's really no chance of it doing any kind of damage, but it does make a loud reverberating clang, at which point you hear some of the work inside stop and then a, a low voice rumbling and the door slides to the side. And standing in front of you, you see a squat, dwarven-looking individual with dark, ashy-gray skin. Uh, Their eyes are bright red and glow, almost like the embers of a dying coal. Their head is partially balded with short salt-and-pepper hair, a graying beard that's very neatly trimmed, and they are dressed in blacksmith's attire. As the door opens, there's just this blast of incredibly superheated air, like opening up an oven that just smacks into both of you. Crown, given your your infernal heritage, it's not that big of a deal. Ghost, you find it rather more uncomfortable. But standing before you now is Korm Chargrin, who looks up at the both of you and with this very deep, scratchy voice says, All right, what do you want? Crown looks at Ghost. Uh, Yeah, Ghost is shifting very uncomfortable. Yeah. Where it's hard, um, because heat is not like her thing, <laughs> and she kind of like squints up at him and says, "Well, we were hoping that you could take a look at something for us and maybe answer a few questions we have." Does Crown have the dagger in the pack at this point? Yes. She kind of holds out her hand, like uh, Crown, if you would. And Crown just starts like panically rummaging, <laughs> like grabs the dagger and hands it to you, like. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Okay, and she presents the dagger uh, in its sheath to, um, I'm sorry, say his name for me one more time. Corm. Corm. She presents it to Corm. He has this very surly or almost annoyed expression at first, but when you present this dagger to him and he gets a look at it, his demeanor changes substantially and he reaches out to take it. Ah, well, this is interesting. Mind me asking where you found it? Dragon Horde. Was it the Dragon Horde? He nods slightly and says, Really? Surprised you make it back in one piece. This is Dwergar, make. Recognize those runes anywhere. Aren't you a beauty? Ah, see here. He takes a look at these runes which are engraved along the, the scabbard of the dagger and says, I but not the hand that feeds me. Yeah, clever. Well, I can tell you this is a fine piece, fine, finely crafted indeed. It's got some magical property to it, I can't quite tell you, but it's likely enchanted so that only its proper owner can use it. It has draconic runes on it? Dwarven runes. Dwarven, okay, at least the draconic. I'm like, um, I can read it? <laughs> no, dwarven, okay. I guess if I can't use it, then... Well, it's not to say you couldn't use it necessarily, but only if you were its actual owner. And how does one determine, like, its actual quote-unquote owner? Like, how would you, like, establish that in the court of law? Uh, it's less to do with the court of law and more in whether or not the enchanted item considers you its owner. Take some time with it, uh, an hour or so, just mm. getting used to it, uh, Attuning yourself to its magical essence, it'll probably <laughs> probably recognize you as its new owner. Ah, okay. Interesting. Hmm, okay. 
Okay. Cry is just looking at Ghost like, help. (laughs) (laughs) Now, for the current moment, I would like to hang on to it. Now, of course, I don't expect you to give this information to us for nothing. I'd be happy to give you some sort of compensation for um, the, honestly, the great, great information you've given us. Um, but for the moment, I think we'll keep the dagger. He he holds up a hand, and you see him glance down at the dagger with this almost nostalgic expression and says, Oh, no, it's fine. It's been long since I've held something crafted by my own people. That in itself is worth the information. Don't worry about it. Is there anything else you need, though? Any repairs done to your equipment? Oh. Anything along those lines I could help you with? Please. I have... I have another dagger, one not quite as splendid as that one, and my quarterstaff that has seemed to have come into some damage. And if you could, I would be so happy if you could repair those for me. Let me see them. So she hands them over. Um, My dagger only has, like, a small amount of damage, and so does my staff. I don't remember. It's like, I think my dagger had, like, enough damage to incur negative one on it. All right. Not going to ask what you stuck this into that treated it like <laughs> this, but uh, we can see about uh, sharpening it back up for you. Staff, uh, I can mend that, no problem. Shouldn't take more than a couple days or two. We've got some other things we're working on, but this isn't anything difficult. What have you got to offer for payment? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out here. Crown, like, opens the satchel and kind of shows you the bag of coins. Like, is, is there metal in here? I, I don't really know how much or how much it weighs, but uh, this could work, maybe. Corm holds out a hand. I hand over the satchel. And takes it, shifts through it. Ah, bit of old topside money. Interesting. Dragon have this as well? No, I, uh, I, I think he was a lizard man, maybe. He, he was a skeleton. He, he was down here like before uh, V came down here. We found a skeleton, and the, the those were with it. Yeah, I'll explain why they look like crap. Metal's a bit <laughs> tarnished, but we could probably get something usable out of that. A little bit of gold and silver in there. That'd be nice for decorative purposes. Some copper, that's always good for more workaday stuff. Huh? Yeah, I'd say these coins would be good for doing your repair work. Is there anything you need done? He says, pointing to you, Crown. Uh, no, I managed to keep all my weapons okay. Somehow. <laughs> I used a torch. I was smart. <laughs> All right, then. There's no other business. I'll get back to my work. I, I greatly you. appreciate everything you've done. Thank you. A big, heavy iron door slides back into place. I just kind of look at Ghost and go, is that thing fell? That went uh, uh, very well. A lot, a lot better than um, I could ever hope for. Matthew, do we have time to go to Sibyl? Sure. Or do you want to go to uh, to Gomlin and see about the file? Or you can do both. Let's go to Gomlin instead. Yeah. Let's go to Gomlin. Yeah. Gomlin. Yeah. So you follow the north wall to where there is a very small, and I 
do mean very small doorway inset into the north wall of the cavern. It looks to be made out of very sturdy stone, and it isn't on any sort of hinge that you can detect. It's almost as if it's carved into the stone itself. There is a small window next to it, through which you can see a lamplight burning through, but the glass that the window is made of is sort of frosted, so you can't actually see through it. You can just see the light coming out. Set beside this door on the, the cavern wall, there is a brass plate that's been etched with uh, a message that says, pull string for bell. And it's written in undercommon, and then again in another language I don't think any of you read gnomish. So yeah, it's written there and then another language underneath that you don't read. And then you see that there's a small hole with a, a string coming down through it. Crowdus looks at Ghost and like starts reaching for it. Like, is this what I'm supposed to do? She and kind of pulls yeah. it. Go ahead. Go for it, my man. You pull the little string and from the other side of this door, you hear a bell just go, ting, ding, 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 ding. A moment passes and then there's this deep scraping sound, this sort of... <sighs> like a large piece of stone being moved within whatever this domicile is. And then a moment later, there's this another scraping of stone as the door itself recesses slightly and then slides down into the stone floor, giving you a very tiny entryway into what looks to be a uh, alchemical shop. And standing there, filling most of the doorway, is a individual of about two and a half feet tall. They have very shiny gray skin, two dark eyes set behind a pair of spectacles, a clean-shaven face, and a sort of uh, long, scraggly white hair. And you see him dust himself off slightly as he looks up to the two of you and says, Yes, how can I help? (laughs) (laughs) Crown looks at Ghost like, "Uh, More talking, please help. Oh my goodness gracious, you smile. It's okay, you know, she's so used to this because... Uh, she has children that are also scared. What are you but a child? I'm 19, so yeah. <laughs> hey, still a teenager. Still counts. Okay, so. I'm a very busy um, man. I would like to uh, get this over with as quickly <laughs> as possible. No worries. Um, yes, of course, of course. Um, so uh, during our travels, and she, she gestures to, to Crown, we have come across quite a few interesting things. And there is one thing in particular we think that you could um, maybe help us identify, let's say. And Crown starts rummaging through the bag and grabs the vial and holds it out. He takes it and says, hmm, interesting. And um, if I were to identify this substance for you, uh, what sort of payment would you be offering for my service? I was just going to give him the vial. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I don't think there would be much of use to any of us. Uh, it's more uh, kind of like a, let's say, a morbid curiosity that I have. Um, if it, it, if you, if it seems to be anything of worth to you, uh, we would definitely let you keep that. Um, if not, I'm sure we could uh, discuss another form of payment if, if that's not suitable to you. All right, I suppose that's amenable. <clears throat> he folds it up, shakes it, examines it, unpops the cork. Hmm, curious. See him dip the very tip of one of his tiny pinky fingers into it. Give it a little taste. Hmm, yes, yes. Quicksilver poison. It's quite rare. Are you okay? 
Oh, don't worry about me. It's only harmful towards um, creatures who are particularly uh, um, sensitive to silver, you know, lycanthropes, undead, those sort of creatures. But uh, sellers like you and me, it's relatively harmless. This is very interesting and and quite unusual to find. If you are willing to part with it, I would be interested in in procuring it. Um, Perhaps I have have some other wares you'd be interested in in trade? Oh, really? Hmm. Then I, I I don't think with with the with the company we keep I'm not sure that it would be quite useful or good to have around. Let's say good good to have around. Um, if if you were interested, we'd definitely be willing to make a trade for you. Mm, okay, well let's see here. You are scavengers of that type, I believe, from, from what I know. I admit I don't mm-hmm. get out much, but I mm-hmm. uh, you have the look about you. I do have some items which are somewhat uh, popular with your types. Um, I have some healing salves. If, if you find yourselves in, in a situation where you're needing some, some on-the-spot uh, medical care, uh, I also have smelling salts. Those can come quite in handy if you have a, an ally who has lost consciousness to, to revive them in a pinch. Um, would either of those be of interest to you? Hmm, what do you what do you say, Crown? I'm kind of partial to the healing selves. Considering what we've met, yeah. Healing yeah. selves would probably be the best. I think we'll go with the healing selves, my friend. Alright, alright, alright. For this vial of uh silver uh, quicksilver poison, I would be willing to part with um shall we say uh two pots of healing salve? That that sounds wonderful. To to me at least. Excellent, excellent. You see him disappear inside his dwelling for a moment, and there's some rattling of vials and small pots, and he comes back out with two small clay pots and and presents them to you. Um, uh, uh, Ghost is going to actually hand them to Crown to put back in the sack, because Crown uh, just seems like the type to keep everything together, and since they didn't, I don't think they took one thing of damage last time, I think that's what we're going to go with. (laughs) Apart from the dragon. I took no damage. <laughs> the dragon was the only thing that gave me damage. There we go. So Now, each of these pots contains uh, one application. Simply uh, remove the poultice from within, smear it across the uh, the wounds of the, the afflicted creature, and they will begin to uh, heal with uh, invigorated speed. Um, All right. I think, I think this was very uh, good trade for uh, all three of us, and I do appreciate your time. And your knowledge. No, of course, of course. Um, Never be afraid to drop back again if you find any more interesting items like this of an alchemical nature. Of course, you'll be the first to know. Very good. Have a good day. He steps back inside. Thank you. The stone door (laughs) rises back up. All right, all right, all right. So let me send you... very pleased. (laughs) <laughs> Let me send you a, a a description of healing salves and how they work. Yay! We have healing stuff. Yay! Yeah! Our cleric doesn't have to spend so many spells sometimes. Yay! Ooh. Troll dog. Oh, Matthew. <laughs> oh, sweet. <laughs>
Are either of you going to uh, attune to the dagger? I am. Okay. And Ghost is just, Ghost is just going to let him because at this point, uh, I feel like the more artifacts that are like the the less at. Let's see. Let me rephrase this. The more magical artifacts that are kept away from the house, the better. <laughs> if that made any sort of sense. Sure. Yes. Okay. Magic is dangerous. Keep it away from the kids. Especially my magical child. <laughs> All right, so has Crown ever attuned to a magical item before? No. No, I didn't Crown assume has so. No idea. They are they are fairly rare. So yes. I imagine you probably go back to your to your home in the Urchin Camp and you spend some time yes. focusing on this this magical dagger and after a short time with it, you feel something sort of shift and change. It's it's difficult to describe because it's not really anything perceptible by your normal five senses. It's nothing like you've ever felt before, but you definitely feel something is slightly different. And as that feeling comes to you, you hear a very soft voice sort of manifest itself and say, Are you my new owner? Yes, hello. Good. Then I will serve you well. My last Thank owner called me you. Obsidian Razor. You may do the same if it pleases you. Can I just call you Obsidian? If you like. Then welcome, Obsidian. And I will send you a description of your new item. Woohoo! Obsidian. So Obsidian is a magical dagger, grants plus one to attack and damage rolls, and if anyone who is not attuned to it tries to open it, it deals a d4 slashing damage. Aloha, podcast listeners. Matthew here. Con season is upon us again. I don't know if you'll be going to one of the various cons coming up in the next few months, but a couple tips. First, respect cosplayers. Make sure you're asking before you're taking pictures, and don't make disparaging remarks if you don't like their cosplay. Keep those thoughts inside. Secondly, hand sanitizer. I'm serious, don't spread con crud around. I, myself, will be at Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle this coming weekend. I'm really looking forward to it, but as a result, there will not be a new podcast episode next Monday. I just will not have time to get it produced because of the travel time involved. So the next episode we publish will be on March 25th. Now that's going to be the first episode in the third chapter of our podcast entitled Conversations. So look forward to that. And just in case you haven't already, now is the perfect time to avail yourself of our sponsor, Die Hard Dice. Die Hard Dice has just announced two gorgeous new products for your gaming collection. First, the Dire D20. This is an oversized 25mm solid metal D20 die to impress at any gaming table. They've also just announced a new addition to their mythical line, Tempest Frostbite, an icy-themed set of solid metal dice coming soon to their online store. Right now, listeners of The Land Above can save 15% when you go to dieharddice.com with the coupon code LANDABOVE, that's one word, Again, that coupon code is L-A-N-D-A-B-O-V-E to save 15% off your next or first order. It is a one-time use only code at dieharddice.com. Roll with the best. 
The Land Above is a proud part of the NerdSmith Network. NerdSmith is a collaborative network delivering nerdy entertainment. You can help support the Land Above podcast by getting a nerd alert, now available through the NerdSmith website at nerdsmith.org slash nerdalert. You can get a personalized message read out on this very podcast, whether that's a birthday message, anniversary wishes, or just a shout-out to your own D&D party, and your money goes to support The Land Above and the NerdSmith Network so we can keep doing what we do for you. For great free nerdy entertainment, follow NerdSmith on Twitter, at WeAreNerdSmith, for updates and show releases, and visit NerdSmith.org to see all the fantastic programs they have to offer, including my brand new weekly streaming show, Homebrew Studio. Homebrew Studio is a show for burgeoning GMs who want to learn how they can create original, memorable, homebrew content for their games. It airs every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time on twitch.tv slash wearenerdsmith, and you can catch the VODs there as well as on Nerdsmith's YouTube channel. And hey, while you're binding your soul through magical Twitter tunement, you can follow this show too. Follow us at TLA Podcast for updates and future releases if you like our program. And please spread the word so more people can discover our show. It's just a couple days till I'm off to see the wizard, but for now, back to the show. Off to Mariel's? Yeah, I guess since he's done everything else and he has to wait for his uh, weapon to be repaired, he's got little else to do except converse with those he prefers to converse with. You find her at her hobble. As is sometimes the case, she has that large tome open and she seems to be flipping through a certain passage of it. There is steam rising up from a small pot of what looks to be freshly brewed tea. But every now and again, she'll reach over and have a sip, put it back. Yes, on their end. What can I do for you? Well, just came back from venturing out in the caves. Hmm? And how did that go? Oh, well, do we? Do I have a story for you? And then he'll regale her with the <laughs> the fun story of what they went through. Mm-hmm. A dragon, you say? That is very interesting. It was bigger heard- than I thought it would be. <laughs> I've not heard story of many dragons in the dark below. Which is curious. But you survive, which is good. By the skin of our tails. I appreciate this uh, gift you bring me, these jewels. They As will, per our agreement. They will keep me fed for some time. Is there something else you desire of me? Oh, I feel like I might need to learn more about the abilities that I find myself getting used to. And what abilities do you have questions over? I can feel the blood of my enemies. I know I can do something with it, but I I need practice. I don't know what I can do with it. Is this referring to something in particular? The blood maledicts. He he was like the he blinded the blood the, the dragon with it. Mm-hmm. So he knows he there's more he can do and just needs to know what extent, because it's a big list. As I have told you. Your powers will awaken as you need them, as you practice them. The more you use it to assert your will through the power of your blood rights, the easier it will become, the more you will discover. I could just give you answers if you want them, but I find that is a less than helpful means of instruction. But did you have a favorite? 
One that serves you well. She closes her book, seems to think for a moment before setting it aside. And she stands up with, and sort of moves so that there's the distance of the room between the two of you. And says, there is one that I have found very useful. Especially against the more brutish types, whose strength relies on the reach of their arm. She concentrates for a moment and holds out her hand. And as she does, you notice the veins at the corner of her eyes bulge and distend slightly as you recognize the sight of her calling upon the power of her blood and manifesting it. And she looks at you. Make a strength saving throw. Nope. Seven. As she looks at you, you see a flare of dark energy through her eyes and expending out through her fingertips. And you feel your own blood begin to seize and bind your muscles. And you can no longer move. And she says, This one can be very useful for keeping enemies at bay. And then she flicks her hand and summons an eldritch blast, which she then hurls straight at you. You, on being unable to move, she strikes unerringly and slams into your chest. You find your your fur singed slightly as you as the effect ends and you're able to pat yourself back out. Ow. That one can be quite useful if you master it. Hmm. I can see why you like that one. I have you much master- to learn. You have. But you have also made great progress. You have mastered your crimson rites. Mastering the blood maledict is... No difficult feat after that. As I said, it takes experience. How has your pact magic been treating you? Not too bad, actually. Uh, It still feels almost alien to me to be using magic when I never thought that possible before I met you. It is always a possibility. But such is the nature of the bargain we made for our powers. It is not really ours so much as it is what we gain from our bargain. Well, I definitely feel it to be worth it. I love being able to set my enemies on fire after they hit me. Hmm. In time, you will come to understand and appreciate even greater blessings. Ah, but I have a question. Yes, my student? I obtain these spells and abilities through a contract of sorts, is that right? Yes. The contract you forged with our patron. Will the patron ever make demands, I assume an entity of power such as theirs won't just sit idly by as I use their power willy-nilly. They have expectations of us. But I would not... I would not counsel you to expect those expectations ever be known. These sort of creatures... They often work in shadow and subterfuge. They have their own ends, and they manipulate events towards those ends. If there's something they wanted from you, I doubt they would ever ask you for it directly. They might simply encourage events in such a manner as making sure you're in the right place at the right time. Then I guess that just means all I have to do is make sure to not disappoint them. Is that correct? I would very strongly recommend you not. Disappointment comes with uh, cost. I'll keep that in mind. So let's go to Riza. Riza, oh, what? Right. Riza, what are you getting up to today? So she's she's probably still a little hungover, little still a little, like rubs her face. She says, "Ah, feck it." Gets up, 
get stressed, and she's gonna stomp over to where um Jarl Jarl's hut is. She wants to know if he knows anything, and yeah. Are you bothering to be? Because the last time you visited Jarl, you were kind of stealthy about it and like trying to keep your face hidden. Are you bothering with that? Or are you just walking straight to his place? She just. At this point, with everything that's happened, she's not even thinking about hiding. It's just singular purpose. Let's go. (laughs) So she's not even thinking about being hidden at the moment. So you make your way through the, um, what did we decide this part of town was called? Tusclaw was like the one that we all said sounded really good. Okay. So you're making your way through the Tusclaw neighborhood where the, the majority of orcs and lycanthropes in town are, are concentrated. And you make your way to the outside of Jarl's humble little hut. And as you're approaching the front door, you just hear a female voice from inside saying, You deckless coward! And you recognize it as your older sister, Uma. And there follows a cacophony of other angry Irish-accented voices that tells you that there is apparently some sort of angry conversation happening inside. Uh, Internally, she's like, nope, 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 want to run away. But then at the same time, she's like, I need to know what's going on. So just clutches her holy symbol and is like, Ashmona, give me strength. And just barges in and, and says, oh, good morning, everybody. So nice to see you all here without knowing who's in there. You walk in and you see your uh, older brother, Jarl, who's the eldest. Uma, your sister, who's the second oldest. Zale and Callan, and the four of them are in the midst of a heated discussion. As soon as you come walking in and joining the mix, you see Uma's already just furious expression grow even darker. And this rush of angry color comes to her face. She says, what the ever living shite are you doing here oh i just couldn't stay away from your sister i just wanted to see how you're doing clearly fucking not she just she flips her the bird and looks at jarl you're just about done i need to borrow you for a minute <laughs> jarl just kind of shrugs <laughs> um uh zale sort of shoots you a grin he's sitting down on like the opposite side of the of the hut oh hello there little sister oh good to see you as well Callan doesn't say much, he just sort of grunts to acknowledge your presence. And Uma, who seems to be in charge of the room for the moment, turns about on Jarl and says, So, did you tell her, did you bother telling her this whole story, or did you just rope her in for your own amusement? Uh, I'm sorry, uh, rope me into what, exactly? Uma turns and says, Oh, that stunt you and your holy man mentor pulled the other day, over at Ma and Dad's place. She, she flinches. Just not quite sure what to say and being confronted with it and just looking at her like, better than anything you have done, all you're doing is just pissing around, it looks like, and shouting. She comes up close and glowers down at you. She's a little bit taller than Riza, I think. She glowers down at you and says, don't you feckin' dare. You haven't been part of this family for nigh on four years. Jarl and I have been the ones taking care of our good-for-nothing father. And our ma. So don't you go telling me that I haven't been doing me part. She she kind of like physically kind of wilts a little, but then kind of like tries to straighten up and looks looks her sister in the eye and is like, well, at least we got the same opinion on dad, don't we? <laughs> but what I was asking is if this particular bowlless bull, and she points at Jarl, 
had told you what he told me about the last time he went to visit our parents. Jarl kind of looks a little, little ashamed of himself, gives you a sort of sad look, and says, No, I didn't tell her. I was hoping I wouldn't have to. I was hoping we wouldn't have to go through any of this. There'd be, I don't know, a better way. And Zale sort of cocks his head and says, All right, now you've got me interest. And that says something, considering it's our parents involved and I usually couldn't give a toss about them. What exactly is it that, uh, what exactly is it that we're supposed to be doing or not doing? Jarl goes quiet. Uma says, Well, the last time our dear brother here went to speak with our parents, he was given a particular request by our dear long-suffering mother, a woman who has borne more than her share of pain and heartache throughout her life, a woman who deserves to have her wishes respected rather than dragging in, and she points to you, Riza, this sort of crap. There's a visible flinch, like, this this is awkward, this is uncomfortable, but she's also... She's also, like, kind of leaning forward, like, what the heck is going on? Because the last time she saw her mother, it was very bittersweet, would I think be a good way to put it? Our mother didn't ask to see you or your holy man. She asked for Alvin. Ma's dying. She knows she is. For weeks now, she hasn't gotten out of bed. Whenever she's lucid enough to talk, she's in terrible pain. She wants an end to it. I think it's a damn shame... That her own feckin' son couldn't respect her wishes enough to grant her that. Riza's just stunned at this point and just looks at Yara like, is is it true? Is that what she asked for? Yarl nods. She's been suffering a long time. I was hoping that maybe you could do something for her. Make her feel better. I just, I don't want to, I, I don't want to be, uh, you, you can't she, expect me to just accept this. And except that she wants to, that she wants to die. I, I, uh, I tried, Jarl. We both tried. I don't know how long we sat there and, or how long it took us, but we tried and it was, it didn't work, Jarl. It didn't work. We tried and it Jarl, didn't work. Jarl comes over and just pulls you into a tight, tight hug. I know. Yeah, she just grasps onto him and is just, sobbing into his shoulder. I know you did, Riza. You don't have nothing to apologize for. You did your best. And from behind him, you just hear Uma say, Oh, she did her best. And her best is always just making things worse than they already are. She is going to whirl around and without even thinking about it, she just shifts into a wolf and just launches at her sister. Okay. Make a roll and attack roll. Oh my god! Family drama, y'all. Werewolf style. This yeah. is a soap opera now. <laughs> Between Ghost and Riso. <laughs> Werewolf family drama leads to body counts. <laughs> I was going to say, oh we God. might have to talk to talk to Logan and tell him we're taking over a soap opera. Um. Okay, so. That's, that's a 10. You leap, and I think just from the sheer inertia of you wolfing out, transforming into this large muscular wolf form you knock her back but she manages to like grab your your upper and lower jaw with both hands and restrain you from actually biting her you watch as she herself transforms not into a full wolf but into a, a hybrid form the, her fingers sort of extend into long claws and her face extends out into a wolfish muzzle but she maintains her her humanoid form as she 
Make an athletics check for me. Okay. I was going to say, hey, I actually I actually have something in there, and I'm decent at it, maybe. Okay. Uh, 16. Thank you, Die Hard Dice. Ooh, okay. <laughs> um, you, you actually tied her. So the two of you are kind of locked into this struggle for a moment, and then you feel the powerful arms of your brother grab you from around the middle and try and pull you off. Riza, Riza. Get your senses back. This isn't helping anyone. Just angry, snarling and like trying to nip and trying to just like thrashing about and just very angry. I think he, between him and Uma, the two of them succeed in pulling you off of Uma, who then gets back to her feet and still in her, her hybrid form sort of snarls and crouches, just waiting to see if you lunge at her again. Now prepared to give you a good thrashing if you try. Her, her hackles are raised and she is snarling and she, she shifts back and she's like, as the snarl turns into a feckin' bitch is what she comes back to in human and then goes to quickly throw something back on. You start getting dressed and Zale is over in the corner with his arms crossed going, Oh, is that it? I was hoping for a bit more of a show. She just flips him off. <laughs> Uma does the same. And I think he does like the double bird back of the two of you as well. So there's just this <laughs> this Mexican standoff of fingers going around. Uh, she she just she just snorts and rolls her eyes, but there's a tiny bit of a grin at him because they're kind of starting to come to an understanding. <laughs> oh my god! Jarl says, "All right, this is enough. There's no good us fighting between one another. It's not going to solve anything. It's not going to help anyone." Look, I tried my best, and I'm not going to apologize that. I did what I thought was best for her ma. Didn't work? Fine. Blame me. But we need to discuss what we're going to do now. And Uma, who, you see her lupine features receding as she returns to her more humanoid form. There's nothing we need to discuss about it. Ma made her choice, and we're going to do what she wants. And they both sort of look over at Callan and Zale. Callan shrugs his shoulders... Zale seems to think on it in a moment and says, Don't matter to me. Watch much one way or the other. Eyes start turning towards you. Breeza kind of just glares at Zale a little, and she's like, That's our ma. Think what you like about our no feckin' good bastard of a da. But that's our ma. I'm not sure if you've taken a lot of hits to the head recently, but our ma was never quite the warmest either. Sure, she she suckled us, but that was about it. She sighs a little, because it's true. But um, she she just grows quiet for a moment and she kind of looks at her holy symbol for a moment and just thinks and and just speaks in a very quiet tone. And it's it's not in nature. We don't all nothing lives forever. Certainly not you. Certainly not me. And unfortunately, not even our ma. If it's what if it's what she wanted, then I'll go talk to him. You're all. Puts a hand on your shoulder and says, I'll do it. She asked me. So, my responsibility. She looks up at him and is like, pack goes together. He grins a little bit. Uma pushes between the two of you bodily as she exits the hut and says, try not to fuck it up. She leaves. And a fuck you to you too. Zayl and Callan both get up and the two of them leave. She just leaves you and Jarl alone. Once they're alone, she slugs him. Ah, for fuck's sake. That was for not telling me, asshole. I didn't want to upset you. 
Oh, no! I'm upset now! You could have spared me all this earlier! Thank you! I, I, I greatly appreciate not being upset in that moment. <sighs> you're right. Okay, you're right. And Uma's right, and... She know. just gives him a big old hug at this after that. <laughs> Alright, let's get this over with. I. She follows after him. Thank you for listening to The Land Above. If you enjoy our podcast, please like and leave a positive review. It really does mean a lot to us. For more info and future updates, follow The Land Above on Twitter at TLA Podcast. Dungeons & Dragons and its associated trademarks are property of Wizards of the Coast. The Land Above, Episode 7, Relations, Part 3. Produced by Matthew A. Siebert. Character art by Vampbite. Follow him on Twitter at Vampbite. The Land Above is part of the Nerdsmith Network. For more great free nerdy entertainment, visit nerdsmith.org. Send us your questions about magical mishaps, or tune in for the latest music on the mythical airwaves. Make sure you tune in for the latest tournament results and where to find the best parties on campus. Or maybe the latest test answers, too. You don't even go here. Never let your schooling interfere with your education, Rupert. W-A-N-D Radio. Magic, music, and mayhem. On nerdsmith.org or wherever you download your podcasts. We are not inciting mayhem on this radio station. That's a terrible idea. How could you think that that would work? Uh, I, I'm sorry, guys. We got to jump in. I'm sorry. What do you do? What do you mean jump in? You're going to do a wild jump. You're going to kill I us all. I don't have a choice. Oh, I'm no, sorry. no, this isn't good. You know what happened last time. It, we're not. I got to go. Sorry. Oh, hold God. on. Guys, we're taking fire. Land is near a hospital. Hold on. Like what you hear? This is a small sample of the action and excitement that await you every Monday on the Chaotic Goodness Podcast. Download us on your favorite podcast app and join us for space opera, action, adventure, and lots and lots of console cleaning. Let the chaos begin.
Now we can be found as part of the Nerdsmith Podcast Network. Find us at nerdsmith.org.